Chapter four, section three of A Practical View of the Prevailing Religious System by William Wilberforce. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Lillis. Chapter four, section three. On the desire of human estimation and applause, the generally prevailing opinions contrasted with those of the true Christian. The desire of human estimation and distinction and honor of the admiration and applause of our fellow creatures, if we take it in its full comprehension and in all its various modifications, from the thirst of glory to the dread of shame, is the passion of which the empire is by far the most general and perhaps the authority most commanding. Though its power be most conspicuous and least controllable in the higher classes of society, it seems, like some resistless conqueror, to spare neither age nor sex nor condition, and taking ten thousand shapes, insinuating itself under the most specious pretexts, and sheltering itself when necessary under the most artful disguises, it winds its way in secret when it dares not openly avow itself, and mixes in all we think and speak and do. It is in some instances the determined and declared pursuit, and confessedly the main practical principle." but where this is not the case it is not seldom the grand spring of action and in the beauty and the author no less than in the soldier it is often the master passion of the soul this is the principle which parents recognize with joy in their infant offspring which is diligently instilled and nurtured in advancing years which under the names of honorable ambition and of laudable emulation it is the professed aim of schools and colleges to excite and cherish the writer is well aware that it will be thought he is pushing his opinions much too far when he ventures to assail this great principle of human action. A principle, its advocates might perhaps exclaim, quote, the extinction of which, if you could succeed in your rash attempt, would be like the annihilation in the material world of the principle of motion. Without it, all were torpid and cold and comfortless. We grant, they might go on to observe, that we never ought to deviate from the paths of duty in order to procure the applause or to avoid the reproaches of men, and we allow that this is a rule too little attended to in practice. We grant that the love of praise is in some instances a ridiculous and in others a mischievous passion, that to it we owe the breed of coquettes and coxcombs, and a more serious evil, the notorious race of heroes and conquerors we too are ready when it appears in the shape of vanity to smile at it as a foible or in that of false glory to condemn it as a crime but all these are only its perversions and on account of them to contend against its true forms and its legitimate exercise were to give into the very error which you formerly yourself condemned of arguing against the use of a salutary principle altogether on account of its being liable to occasional abuse when turned into the right direction and applied to its true purposes it prompts to every dignified and generous enterprise it is erudition in the portico, skill in the lyceum, eloquence in the senate, victory in the field. It forces indolence into activity and extorts from vice itself the deeds of generosity and virtue. When once the soul is warmed by its generous ardor, no difficulties deter, no dangers terrify, no labors tire. It is this which, giving by its stamp to what is virtuous and honorable its just superiority over the gifts of birth and fortune, rescues the rich from a base subjection to the pleasures of sense, and makes them prefer a course of toil and hardship to a life of indulgence and ease. It prevents the man of rank from acquiescing in his hereditary greatness, and spurs him forward in pursuit of personal distinction, and of a nobility which he may justly term his own. It moderates and qualifies the over-great inequalities of human conditions, and reaching to those who are above the sphere of laws, and extending to cases which fall not within their province, it limits and circumscribes the power of the tyrant on his throne, and gives gentleness to war, and to pride humility. Nor is its influence confined to public life, nor is it known only in the great and in the splendid. 
to it is to be ascribed a large portion of that courtesy and disposition to please which naturally producing a mutual appearance of good will and a reciprocation of good offices constitute much of the comfort of private life and give their choicest sweets to social and domestic intercourse nay from the force of habit it follows us even into solitude and in our most secret retirements we often act as if our conduct were subject to human observation and we derive no small complacency from the imaginary applauses of an ideal spectator so far of the effects of the love of praise and distinction and if after enumerating some of these you should proceed to investigate its nature quote, we admit it might be added that a hasty and misjudged world often misapplies commendations and censures and whilst we therefore confess that the praises of the discerning few are alone truly valuable we acknowledge that it were better if mankind were always to act from the sense of right and the love of virtue without referencing to the opinions of their fellow-creatures we even allow that independently of consequences this were perhaps in itself a higher strain of virtue but it is a degree of purity which it would be vain to expect from the bulk of mankind when the intrinsic excellence of this principle however it is called in question let it be remembered that in its higher degrees it was styled by one who meant rather to detract from its merits than to aggravate them quote, the infirmity of noble minds end quote, and surely that in such a soil it most naturally springs up and flourishes it is no mean proof of its exalted origin and generous nature but were these more dubious and were it no more than a splendid error yet considering that it works so often in the right direction it were enough to urge in its behalf that it is a principle of real action and approved energy that as much as practice is better than theory and solid realities than empty speculation so much is it to be preferred for general use before those higher principles of morals which however just and excellent in themselves you would in vain attempt to bring home to the business and bosoms of mankind at large reject not then a principle thus universal in its influence thus valuable in its effects a principle which by whatever name you may please to call it acts by motives and considerations suited to our condition and which putting it at the very lowest must be confessed in our present infirm state to be a habitual aid and ever-present support to the feebleness of virtue in a selfish world it produces the effects of disinterestedness and when public spirit is extinct it supplies the want of patriotism let us therefore with gratitude avail ourselves of its help and not relinquish the good which it freely offers from we know not what vain dreams of impracticable purity and unattainable perfection all this and much more might be urged by the advocates of this favourite principle it would be however no difficult task to show that it by no means merits this high eulogium to say nothing of that larger part of the argument of our opponents which betrays and even proceeds upon that mischievous notion of the innocence of error against which we have already entered our formal protest the principle in question is manifestly of a most inconstant and variable nature as inconstant and variable as the innumerably diversified modes of fashions habits and opinions in different periods and societies what it tolerates in one age it forbids in another what in one country it prescribes and applauds in another it condemns and stigmatizes obviously and openly it often takes vice into its patronage and sets itself in direct opposition to virtue it is calculated to produce rather the appearance than the reality of excellence and at best not to check the love but only the commission of vice much of this indeed was seen and acknowledged by the philosophers and even by the poets of the pagan world they declaimed against it as a mutable and inconstant principle they lamented the fatal effects which under the name of false glory it had produced on the peace and happiness of mankind they condemned the pursuit of it when it led its followers out of the path of virtue and taught that the praise of the wise and the good only was to be desired 
but it was reserved for the page of scripture to point out to us distinctly wherein it is apt to be essentially defective and vicious and to discover to us more fully its encroaching nature and dangerous tendencies teaching us at the same time how being purified from its corrupt qualities and reduced under just subordination it may be brought into legitimate exercise and be directed to its true end in the sacred volume we are throughout reminded that we are originally the creatures of god's formation and continual dependence on his bounty there too we learn the painful lesson of man's degradation and unworthiness we learn that humiliation and contrition are the tempers of mind best suited to our fallen condition and most acceptable in the sight of our creator we learn that these to the repression and extinction of that spirit of arrogance and self-importance so natural to the heart of man it should be our habitual care to cherish and cultivate studiously maintaining a continual sense that not only for all the natural advantages over others which we may possess but that for all our moral superiority also we are altogether indebted to the unmerited goodness of god it might perhaps be said to be the great end and purpose of all revelation and especially to be the design of the gospel to reclaim us from our natural pride and selfishness and their fatal consequences to bring us to a just sense of our weakness and depravity and to dispose us with unfeigned humiliation to abase ourselves and to give glory to god quote, no flesh may glory in his presence he that glorieth let him glory in the lord End quote. Quote, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the lord alone shall be exalted End quote. isaiah two verse eleven these solemn admonitions are too generally disregarded and their intimate connection with the subject we are now considering appears to have been often entirely overlooked even by christian moralists these authors without reference to the mainspring and internal principle of conduct are apt to speak of the love of human applause as being meritorious or culpable as being the desire of true or of false glory accordingly as the external actions it produces and the pursuits to which it prompts are beneficial or mischievous to mankind but it is undeniably manifest that in the judgment of the word of god the love of worldly admiration and applause is in its nature essentially and radically corrupt so far as it partakes of a disposition to exalt and aggrandize ourselves to pride ourselves on our natural or acquired endowments or to assume to ourselves the merit and credit of our good qualities instead of ascribing all the honor and glory where only they are due its guilt therefore in these cases is not to be measured by its effects on the happiness of mankind nor is it to be denominated true or false glory accordingly as the ends to which it is directed are beneficial or mischievous just or unjust objects of pursuit but it is false because it exalts that which ought to be abased and criminal because it encroaches on the prerogative of god the scriptures further instruct us not merely that mankind are liable to error and therefore that the world's commendations may be sometimes mistaken but that their judgment being darkened and their hearts depraved its applauses and contempt will for the most part be systematically misplaced that though the beneficent and disinterested spirit of christianity and her obvious tendency to promote domestic comfort and general happiness cannot but extort applause yet that her aspiring after more than ordinary excellence by exciting secret misgivings in others or a painful sense of inferiority not unmixed with envy cannot fail often to disgust and offend the word of god teaches us that though such of the doctrines and precepts of christianity as are coincident with worldly interests and pursuits and with worldly principles and systems may be professed without offence yet that what is opposite to these or even different from them will be deemed needlessly precise and strict the indulgence of a morose and gloomy humour the symptoms of a contracted and superstitious spirit the marks of a mean enslaved or distorted understanding 
that for these and other reasons the follower of christ must not only make up his mind to the occasional relinquishment of worldly flavour but that it should even afford him a matter of holy jealousy and suspicion of himself when it is very lavishly and very generally bestowed but though the standard of worldly estimation differed less from that of the gospel yet since our affections ought to be set on heavenly things and conversant about heavenly objects and since in particular the love and favour of god ought to be the matter of our supreme and habitual desire to which every other should be subordinated it follows that the love of human applause must be manifestly injurious so far as it tends to draw down our regards to earthly concerns and to bound and circumscribe our desires within the narrow limits of this world particularly that it is impure so far as it is tinctured with a disposition to estimate too highly and love too well the good opinion and commendations of man but though by these and other instructions and considerations the holy scripture warns us against the inordinate desire or earnest pursuit of worldly estimation and honour though it so greatly reduces their value and prepares us for losing them without surprise and for relinquishing them with little reluctance yet it teaches us that christians in general are not only called upon absolutely and voluntarily to renounce or forego them but that when without our having solicitously sought them they are bestowed on us for actions intrinsically good we are to accept them as being intended by providence to be sometimes even in this disorderly state of things a present solace and a reward to virtue nay more we are instructed that in our general deportment that in little particulars of conduct otherwise indifferent that in the circumstances and manner of performing actions in themselves of a determined character and indispensable obligation guarding however against the smallest degree of artifice or deceit that by watching for opportunities of doing little kindnesses that by avoiding singularities and even humouring prejudices where it may be done without the slightest infringement on truth or duty we ought to have a due respect and regard to the approbation and favour of men these however we should not value chiefly as they may administer to our own gratification but rather as furnishing means and instruments of influence which we may turn to good account by making them subservient to the improvement and happiness of our fellow-creatures and thus conducive to the glory of god the remark is almost superfluous that on occasions like these we must even watch our hearts with the most jealous care lest pride and self-love insensibly infuse themselves and corrupt the purity of principle so liable to contract a taint credit and reputation in the judgment of the true christian stand on ground not very different from riches which he is not to prize highly or to desire and pursue with solicitude but which when they are allotted to him by the hand of providence he is to accept with thankfulness and use with moderation relinquishing them when it becomes necessary without a murmur guarding most circumspectly so long as they remain with him against the sensual and selfish temper and no less against that pride and wantonness of heart which they are too apt to produce and cherish thus considering them as in themselves acceptable but from the infirmity of his nature as highly dangerous possessions and valuing them chiefly not as instruments of luxury or splendour but as affording the means of honouring his heavenly benefactor and lessening the miseries of mankind christianity however as was formerly observed proposes not to extinguish our natural desires but to bring them under just control and direct them to their true objects in the case of both riches and of honour she maintains the consistency of her character while she commands us not to set our hearts on earthly treasures she reminds us that quote, we have in heaven a better and more enduring substance end quote, than this world can bestow and while she represses our solicitude respecting earthly credit and moderates our attachment to it she holds forth to us and bids us habitually to aspire after the splendours of that better state where is true glory and honour and immortality thus exciting in us a just ambition suited to our high origin and worthy of our large capacities which the little misplaced and perishable distinctions of this life would in vain attempt to satisfy 
it would be a mere waste of time to enter into any laboured argument to prove at large that the light in which worldly credit and estimation are regarded by the bulk of professed christians is extremely different from that in which they are placed by the page of scripture the inordinate love of worldly glory indeed implies a passion which from the nature of things cannot be called into exercise in the generality of mankind because being conversant about great objects it can but rarely find that field which is requisite for its exertions but we everywhere discover the same principle reduced to the dimensions of common life and modified and directed according to every one's sphere of action we may discover it in a supreme love of distinction and admiration and praise in the universal acceptableness of flattery and above all in the excessive valuation of our worldly character in that watchfulness with which it is guarded in that jealousy when it is questioned in that solicitude when it is in danger in that hot resentment when it is attacked in that bitterness of suffering when it is impaired or lost all these emotions as they are too manifest to be disputed so are they too reputable to be denied dishonour disgrace and shame present images of horror too dreadful to be faced they are evils which it is thought the mark of a generous spirit to consider as excluding every idea of comfort and enjoyment and to feel in short as too heavy to be borne the consequences of all this are natural and obvious though it be not openly avowed that we are to follow after worldly estimation or to escape from worldly disrepute when they can only be pursued or avoided by declining from the path of duty nay though the contrary be recognized as being the just opinion yet all the effects of this speculative concession is soon done away in fact estimating worldly credit as of highest intrinsic excellence and worldly shame as the greatest of all possible evils we sometimes shape and turn the path of duty itself from its true direction so that it may favour our acquisition of the one and avoidance of the other or when this cannot be done we boldly and openly turn aside from it declaring the temptation is too strong to be resisted it were easy to adduce numerous proofs of the truth of these assertions it is proved indeed by that general tendency in religion to conceal herself from the view for we might hope that in these cases she is often by no means altogether extinct by her being apt to vanish from our conversations and even to give place to a pretended licentiousness of sentiments and conduct and a false show of infidelity it is proved by that complying acquiescence and participation in the habits and manners of this dissipated age which has almost confounded every external distinction between the christian and the infidel and has made it so rare to find any one who dares incur the charge of christian singularity or who can say with that apostle that quote, he is not ashamed of the gospel of christ end quote. it is proved how can this proof be omitted by one to whose lot it has so often fallen to witness and lament sometimes he fears to afford an instance of it by that quick resentment those bitter contentions those angry retorts those malicious triumphs that impatience of inferiority that wakeful sense of past defeats that promptness to revenge them which too often change the character of a christian deliberative assembly into that of a stage for prize-fighters violating at once the proprieties of public conduct and the rules of social decorum and renouncing and chasing away all the charities of the religion of jesus but from all lesser proofs our attention is drawn to one of a still larger size and more determined character surely the reader will here anticipate our mention of the practice of duelling a practice which to the disgrace of a christian society has long been suffered to exist with little restraint or opposition this practice whilst it powerfully supports mainly rests on that excessive overvaluation of character which teaches that worldly credit is to be preserved at any rate and disgrace at any rate to be avoided the unreasonableness of duelling has often been proved and it has often been shown to be criminal on various principles sometimes it has been opposed on grounds hardly tenable particularly when it has been considered as an indication of malice and revenge 
Footnote. See Hayes' tract, Rousseau's Eloisa, and many periodical essays and sermons. End footnote. But it seems hardly to have been enough noticed in what chiefly consists its essential guilt, that it is a deliberate preference of the favor of man before the favor and approbation of God, in articulo mortis, in an instance wherein our own life and that of a fellow-creature are at stake, and wherein we run the risk of rushing into the presence of our Maker in the very act of offending Him. It would detain us too long, and were somewhat beside our present purpose, to enumerate the mischievous consequences which result from this practice. They are many and great, and if regard be had merely to the temporal interests of men, and to the well-being of society, they are but poorly counterbalanced by the plea which must be admitted in its behalf by a candid observer of human nature, of a courtesy and refinement in our modern manners unknown to ancient times. But there is one observation which must not be omitted, and which seems to have been too much overlooked. In the judgment of that religion which requires purity of heart and of that being to whom, as was before remarked, quote, thought is action, end quote, he cannot be esteemed innocent of this crime who lives in a settled habitual determination to commit it when circumstances shall call upon him to do so. Footnote. See, quote, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her, end quote. Matthew 5, verse 28. End footnote. This is a consideration which places the crime of dueling on a different footing from almost any other. Indeed, there is perhaps no other which mankind habitually and deliberately resolve to practice whenever the temptation shall occur. It shows also that the crime of dueling is far more general in the higher classes than is commonly supposed, and that the whole sum of the guilt which the practice produces is great beyond what has perhaps been ever conceived. It will be the writer's comfort to have solemnly suggested this consideration to the consciences of those by whom this impious practice might be suppressed. If such there be, which he is strongly inclined to believe, theirs is the crime and theirs the responsibility of suffering it to continue. Footnote. The writer cannot omit this opportunity of declaring that he should long ago have brought this subject before the notice of Parliament, but for a perfect conviction that he should probably thereby only give encouragement to a system he wishes to see at an end. The practice has been at different periods nearly stopped by positive laws in various nations on the continent, and there can be little doubt of the efficacy of what has been more than once suggested, a court of honor, to take cognizance of such offenses as would naturally fall within its province. The effects of this establishment would doubtless require to be enforced by legislative provisions directly punishing the practice, and by discouraging at court and in military and naval situations all who should directly or indirectly be guilty of it. End footnote. In the foregoing observations, it has not been the writer's intention to discuss completely that copious subject, the love of worldly estimation. It would be to exceed the limits of a work like this fully to investigate so large and at the same time so important a topic. Enough, however, may have perhaps been said to make it evident that this principle is of a character highly questionable, that it should be brought under absolute subjection and watched with the most jealous care that notwithstanding its lofty pretensions, it often can by no means justly boast that high origin and exalted nature which its superficial admirers are disposed to concede to it. What real intrinsic essential value, it might be asked, does there appear to be in a virtue which had wholly changed its nature and character if public opinion had been different? But it is in truth of base extraction and ungenerous quality springing from selfishness and vanity and low ambition, by these it subsists and thrives and acts, and envy and jealousy and detraction and hatred and variance are its two faithful and natural associates. It is, to say the best of it, a root which bears fruits of a poisonous as well as of a beneficial quality. 
if it sometimes stimulates to great and generous enterprises if it urges to industry and sometimes to excellence if in the more contracted sphere it produces courtesy and kindness yet to its account we must place the ambition which desolates nations and many of the competitions and resentments which interrupt the harmony of social life the former indeed has been often laid to its charge but the latter have not been sufficiently attended to and still less has its noxious influence on the vital principle and distinguishing graces of the christian character been duly pointed out and enforced to read indeed the writings of certain christian moralists footnote see in particular a paper in the guardian by addison on honour volume two End footnote and to observe how little they seem disposed to call it in question except where it raves in the conqueror one should almost be tempted to suspect that considering it as a principle of such potency and prevalence as that they must despair of bringing it into just subjection they were intent only on complimenting it into good humour like those barbarous nations which worship the evil spirit through fear or rather that they were making a sort of composition with the enemy that they could not master and were willing on condition of giving up the trade of war to suffer it to rule undisturbed and range at pleasure but the truth is that the reasonings of christian moralists too often exhibit but few traces of the genius of christian morality of this position the case before us is an instance the principle of the desire of worldly distinction and applause is often allowed and even commended with too few qualifications and too little reserve to covet wealth is base and sordid but to covet honour is treated as the mark of a generous and exalted nature these writers scarcely seem to bear in mind that though the principle in question tends to prevent the commission of those grosser acts of vice which would injure us in the general estimation yet that it not only stops there but that it there begins to exert almost an equal force in the opposite direction they do not consider how apt this principle is even in the case of those who move in a contracted sphere to fill us with vain conceits and vicious passions and above all how it tends to fix the affections on earthly things and to steal away the heart from god they acknowledge it to be criminal when it produces mischievous effects but forget how apt it is by the substitution of a false and corrupt motive to vitiate the purity of our good actions depriving them of all which rendered them truly and essentially valuable that not to be too hastily approved because it takes the side of virtue it often works her ruin while it asserts her cause and like some vile seducer pretends affection only the more surely to betray it is the distinguishing glory of christianity not to rest satisfied with superficial appearances but to rectify the motives and purify the heart the true christian in obedience to the lessons of scripture nowhere keeps over himself a more resolute and jealous guard than where the desire of human estimation and distinction is in question nowhere does he feel more deeply the insufficiency of his unassisted strength or more diligently and earnestly pray for divine assistance he may well indeed watch and pray against the encroachments of a passion which when suffered to transgress its just limits discovers a peculiar hostility to the distinguishing graces of the christian temper a passion which must insensibly acquire force because it is in continual exercise to which almost everything without administers nutriment and the growth of which within is favoured and cherished by such powerful auxiliaries as pride and selfishness the natural and perhaps inexterminable inhabitants of the human heart of which the predominance if established is thus so pernicious and which possesses so many advantages for effecting its establishment strongly impressed therefore with the sense of the indispensable necessity of guarding against the progress of this encroaching principle in humble reliance on superior aid the true christian thankfully uses the means and habitually exercises himself in the considerations and motives suggested to him for that purpose by the word of god he is much occupied in searching out and contemplating his own infirmities 
he endeavours to acquire and maintain a just conviction of his great unworthiness and to keep in continual remembrance that whatever distinguishes himself from others is not properly his own but that he is altogether indebted for it to the undeserved bounty of heaven he diligently endeavours also habitually to preserve a just sense of the real worth of human distinction and applause knowing that he shall covet them less when he has learned not to overrate their value he labours to bear in mind how undeservedly they are often bestowed how precariously they are always possessed the censures of good men justly render him suspicious of himself and prompt him carefully and impartially to examine into those parts of his character or those particulars of his conduct which have drawn on him their animadversions the favourable opinion and the praises of good men are justly acceptable to him where they accord with the testimony of his own heart that testimony being thereby confirmed and warranted those praises favour also and strengthen the growth of mutual confidence and affection where it is his delight to form friendships rich not less in use than comfort and to establish connections which may last for ever but even in the case of commendations of good men he suffers not himself to be beguiled into an overvaluation of them lest he should be led to substitute them in the place of conscience he guards against this by reflecting how indistinctly we can discern each other's motives how little enter into each other's circumstances how mistaken therefore may be the judgments formed of us or of our actions even by good men and that it is far from improbable that we may at some time be compelled to forfeit their esteem by adhering to the dictates of our own consciences but if he endeavours thus to set loose to the favour and applause even of good men much more to those of the world at large not but that he is sensible to their worth as means and instruments of usefulness and influence and under the limitations and for the ends allowed in scripture these that it is needless to repeat he is glad to possess observant to acquire and careful to retain them he considers them however if we may again introduce the metaphor like the precious metals as having rather an exchangeable than an intrinsic value as desirable not simply in their possession but in their use in this view he holds himself to be responsible for that share of them which he enjoys and to continue the figure as bound not to let them lie by him unemployed this were hoarding not to lavish them prodigally this would be waste not imprudently to misapply them this were folly and caprice but as under an obligation to regard them as conferred upon him that they might be brought into action and as what therefore he may by no means throw away though ready if it be required to relinquish them with cheerfulness and never feeling himself at liberty in consideration of the use he intends to make of them to acquire or retain them unlawfully he holds it to be his bounden duty to seek diligently for occasions of rendering them subservient to their true purposes and when any such occasion is found to expend them cheerfully and liberally but with discretion and frugality being no less prudent in determining the measure than in selecting the objects of their application that they may go the farther by being thus managed with economy acting therefore on these principles he will studiously and diligently use any degree of worldly credit he may enjoy in removing or lessening prejudices in conciliating good will and thereby making way for the less obstructed progress of truth and in providing for its being entertained with candour or even with favour by those who would bar all access against it in any rougher or more homely form he will make it his business to set on foot and forward benevolent and useful schemes and where they require united efforts to obtain and preserve for them this cooperation he will endeavour to discountenance vice to bring modest merit into notice to lend as it were his light to men of real worth but of less creditable name and perhaps of less conciliating qualities and manners that they may thus shine with a reflected lustre and be useful in their turn when invested with their just estimation 
but while by these and various other means he strives to render his reputation so long as he possesses it subservient to the great ends of advancing the cause of religion and virtue and of promoting the happiness and comfort of mankind he will not transgress the rule of the scripture precepts in order to obtain to cultivate or to preserve it resolutely disclaiming that dangerous sophistry of quote, doing evil that good may come end quote ready however to relinquish his reputation when required so to do he will not throw it away and so far as he allowably may he will cautiously avoid occasions of diminishing it instead of studiously seeking or needlessly multiplying them as seems sometimes to have been the practice of worthy but imprudent men there will be no capricious humours no selfish tempers no moroseness no discourtesy no affected severity of deportment no peculiarity of language no indolent neglect or wanton breach of the ordinary forms or fashions of society his reputation is a possession capable of uses too important to be thus sported away if sacrificed at all it shall be sacrificed at the call of duty the world shall be constrained to allow him to be amiable as well as respectable in other parts of his character though in what regards religion they may account him unreasonably precise and strict in this no less than in other particulars he will endeavour to reduce the enemies of religion to adopt the confession of the accusers by the jewish ruler quote, we shall not find any fault or occasion against this daniel except concerning the law of god End quote. and even there if he give offence it will only be where he dares not do otherwise and if he fall into disesteem or disgrace it shall not be chargeable to any conduct which is justly dishonourable or even to any unnecessary singularities on his part but to the false standard of estimation of a misjudging world when his character is thus mistaken or his conduct thus misconstrued he will not wrap himself up in a mysterious sullenness but will be ready where he thinks any one will listen to him with patience and candour to clear up what has been dubious to explain what has been imperfectly known and quote, speaking the truth in love end quote, to correct if it may be the erroneous impressions which have been conceived of him he may sometimes feel it his duty publicly to vindicate his character from unjust reproach and to repel the false charges of the enemies but he will carefully however watch against being led away by pride or being betrayed into some breach of truth or of christian charity when he is treading a path so dangerous at such a time he will also guard with more than ordinary circumspection against any undue solicitude about his worldly reputation for its own sake and when he has done what duty requires for its vindication he will sit down with a peaceable and quiet mind and it will be matter of no very deep concern to him if his endeavours should have been ineffectual if good men in every age and nation have been often unjustly calumniated and disgraced and if in such circumstances even the darkness of paganism has been able contentedly to repose itself on the consciences of innocence shall one who is cheered by the christian's hope who is assured also that a day will shortly come in which whatever is secret shall be made manifest and the mistaken judgments of men perhaps even of good men being corrected that quote, he shall then have praise of god end quote shall such a one i say sink shall he even bend or droop under such a trial they might be more excusable in overvaluing human reputation to whom all beyond the grave was dark and cheerless they also might be more easily pardoned for pursuing with some degree of eagerness and solicitude that glory which might survive them thus seeking as it were to extend the narrow span of their earthly existence but far different is our case to whom these clouds are rolled away and quote, life and immortality brought to light by the gospel end quote not but that worldly favour and distinction are amongst the best things this world has to offer but the christian knows it is the very condition of his calling not to have his portion here 
and as is the case of any other earthly enjoyments so that in the world of honour he dreads lest his supreme affections being thereby gratified it should be hereafter said to him quote, remember that thou in thy lifetime received good things end quote. he is required by his holy calling to be victorious over the world and to this victory the conquest of the dread of disesteem and dishonour is essentially and indispensably required he reflects on those holy men who quote, had trial of cruel mockings end quote. he remembers that our blessed saviour himself quote, was despised and rejected of men end quote. and what is he that he should be exempted from the common lot or think it much to bear the scandal of his profession if therefore he is creditable and popular he considers this if the phrase may be pardoned as something beyond his bargain and he watches himself with double care lest he should grow over-fond of what he may be shortly called upon to relinquish he meditates often on the probability of his being involved in such circumstances as may render it necessary for him to subject himself to disgrace and obloquy thus familiarizing himself with them betimes and preparing himself that when the trying hour arrives they may not take him unawares but the cultivation of the desire of quote, that honour which cometh from god end quote, he finds the most effectual means of bringing his mind into a proper temper in what regards the love of human approbation christian would thou indeed reduce this affection under just control sursum corda rise on the wings of contemplation until the praises and the censures of men die away upon the ear and the still small voice of conscience is no longer drowned by the din of this nether world here the sight is apt to be occupied with earthly objects and the hearing to be engrossed with earthly sounds but there thou shalt come within the view of that resplendent and incorruptible crown which is held forth to thy acceptance in the realms of light and thine ear shall be regaled with heavenly melody here we dwell in a variable atmosphere the prospect is at one time darkened by the gloom of disgrace and at another the eye is dazzled by the gleamings of glory but thou hast now ascended above this inconstant region no storms agitate no clouds obscure the air and the lightnings play and the thunders roll beneath thee thus at chosen seasons the christian exercises himself and when from this elevated region he descends into the plain below and mixes into the bustle of life he still retains the impressions of his more retired hours by these he realizes to himself the unseen world he accustoms himself to speak and act as in the presence of quote, an innumerable company of angels and of the spirits of just men made perfect and of god the judge of all end quote. the consciousness of their approbation cheers and gladdens his soul under the scoffs and reproaches of an undiscerning world and to his delight their united praises form a harmony which a few discordant earthly voices cannot interrupt but though the christian be sometimes enabled thus to triumph over the inordinate love of human applause he does not therefore deem himself secure from its encroachments on the contrary he is aware so strong and active is its principle of vitality that even where it seems extinct let but circumstances favour its revival and it will spring forth again in renewed vigour and as his watch must thus during life know no termination because the enemy will ever be at hand so it must be the more close and vigilant because he is nowhere free from danger but is on every side open to attack quote, summe superbiam questiam meritis end quote, was the maxim of a worldly moralist 
but the christian is aware that he is particularly assailable where he really excels there he is in a special danger lest his motives originally pure being insensibly corrupted he should be betrayed into an anxiety about worldly favour false in principle or excessive in degree when he is endeavouring to render his virtue amiable and respected in the eyes of others and in obedience to the scripture injunction is willing to let his quote, light so shine before men that they may see his good works and glorify his father which is in heaven End quote. he watches himself also on small as well as on great occasions the latter indeed in the case of many persons can hardly ever be expected to occur whereas the former are continually presenting themselves and thus whilst on the one hand they may be rendered highly useful in forming and strengthening a just habit of mind in the particular in question so on the other they are the means most at hand for enabling us to discover our own real character let not this be slightly passed over if any one finds himself shrinking from disrepute or disesteem in the little instances if any one finds himself shrinking from disrepute or disesteem in the little instances but apt to solace himself with the persuasion that his spirits being fully called forth to the counter he could boldly stand in the brunt of sharper trials let him be slow to give entertainment to so beguiling a suggestion and let him not forget that these little instances where no credit is to be got and the vainest can find small room for self-complacency furnish perhaps the truest tests whether we are ashamed of the gospel of christ and are willing on principles really pure to bear reproach for the name of jesus the christian too is well aware that the excessive desire of human approbation is a passion of so subtle a nature that there is nothing into which it cannot penetrate and from much experience learning to discover it where it would lurk unseen and to detect it under its more specious disguises he finds that elsewhere disallowed and excluded it is apt to insinuate itself into his very religion where it especially delights to dwell and obstinately maintains its residence proud piety and ostentatious charity and all the more open effects it there produces have often been condemned and we may discover the tendencies to them in ourselves without difficulty but where it appears not so large in bulk and in shape so unambiguous let its operation be still suspected let not the christian suffer himself to be deceived by any external dissimilitudes between himself and the world around him trusting perhaps to the sincerity of the principle to which they originally owed their rise but let him beware lest through the insensible encroachments of the subtle usurper his religion should at length have quote, only a name to live end quote, being gradually robbed of its vivifying principle lest he should be mainly preserved in this religious course by the dread of incurring the charge of levity for quitting a path on which he had deliberately entered or where on strict and impartial scrutiny of his governing motives he may fairly conclude this not to be the case let him beware lest he be influenced by this principle in particular parts of his character and especially where any external singularities are in question closely scrutinizing his apparent motives lest he should be prompted to his more than ordinary religious observances and be kept from participating in the licentious pleasures of a dissipated age not so much by vigorous principle of internal holiness as by a fear of lessening himself in the good opinion of the stricter circle of his associates or of suffering even in the estimation of the world at large by violating the proprieties of his assumed character to those who in the important particular which we have been so long discussing wish to conform themselves to the injunctions of the word of god we must advise a laborious watchfulness a jealous guard a close and frequent scrutiny of their own hearts that they may not mistake their real character and too late find themselves to have been mistaken as to what they had conceived to be their governing motives above all let them harbour with humble prayers for divine assistance to fix in themselves a deep habitual and practical sense of the excellence of quote, that honour which cometh from god end quote, and of the comparative worthlessness of all earthly estimation and pre-eminence 
in truth unless the affections of the soul be thus predominantly engaged on the side of heavenly in preference to that of human honour though we may have relinquished the pursuit of fame we shall not have acquired that firm contexture of mind which can bear disgrace and shame without yielding to the pressure between these two states there is a wide interval and he who on sober review of his conduct and motives finds reason to believe he has arrived at the one must not therefore conclude he has reached the other to the one a little natural moderation and quietness of temper may be sufficient to conduct us but to the other we can only attain by much discipline and slow advances and when we think we have made great way we shall often find reason to confess in the hour of trial that we had greatly far too greatly overrated our progress when engaged too in the prosecution of this course we must be aware of the snares which lie in our way and of the deceits to which we are liable and we must be provided against these impositions by having obtained a full and distinct conception of the temper of mind with regard to human favour which is prescribed to us in scripture and by continually examining our hearts and lives to ascertain how far they correspond with it this will prevent our substituting contemplation in the place of action and giving ourselves too much up to those religious meditations which were formerly recommended in which we must not indulge to the neglect of the common duties of life this will prevent our mistaking the gratification of an indolent temper for the christian's disregard of fame for never let it be forgotten we must deserve estimation though we may not possess it forcing men of the world to acknowledge that we do not want their boasted spring of action to set us in motion but that its place is better supplied to us by another which produces all the good of theirs without its evil thus demonstrating the superiority of the principle which animates us by the superior utility and excellence of its effects this principle in order to be pure and genuine though nerved with more than mortal firmness must be sweetened by love and tempered with humility the former of these qualities will render us kind friendly and beneficent preventing our being no longer on the watch to promote the happiness and comfort of others than whilst we are stimulated by the desire of their applause the produce of which passion whatever may be vaunted of its effects on social intercourse is often nothing better than selfishness but ill-concealed under a superficial covering of exterior courtesy humility again reducing us in our own value will moderate our claims on a worldly estimation it will check our tendency to ostentation and display prompting us rather to avoid than to attract notice it will dispose us to sit down in quiet obscurity though judging ourselves impartially we believe ourselves better entitled to credit than those on whom it is conferred closing the entrance against a proud painful and malignant passion from which under such circumstances we can otherwise be hardly free the passion of quote, high disdain from sense of injured merit end quote love and humility will concur in producing a frame of mind not more distinct from an ardent thirst of glory than from that frigid disregard or insolent contempt or ostentatious renunciation of human favour and distinction which we have sometimes seen opposed to it these latter qualities may not infrequently be traced to a slothful sensual and selfish temper to the consciousness of being unequal to any great and generous attempts to the disappointment of schemes of ambition or of glory to a little personal experience of the world's capricious and inconstant humour the renunciation in these cases however sententious is often far from sincere and it is even made not unfrequently with a view to the attainment of that very distinction which it affects to disclaim in some other of these instances the overvaluation and inordinate desire of worldly credit however disavowed are abundantly evident from the merit which is assumed for relinquishing them or from that sour and surly humour which betrays a gloomy and corroded mind galled and fretting under the irritating sense of the want of that which it most wishes to possess 
but the christian's is a far different temper not a temper of sordid sensuality or lazy apathy or dogmatizing pride or disappointed ambition more truly independent of worldly estimation than philosophy with all her boasts it forms a perfect contrast to epicurean selfishness and to stoical pride and to cynical brutality it is a temper compounded of firmness and complacency and peace and love and manifesting itself in acts of kindness and courtesy a kindness not pretended but genuine a courtesy not false and superficial but cordial and sincere in the hour of popularity it is not intoxicated or insolent in the hour of unpopularity it is not desponding or morose unshaken in constancy unwearied in benevolence firm without roughness and assiduous without servility notwithstanding the great importance of the topic which we have been investigating it will require much indulgence on the part of the reader to excuse the disproportionate length into which the discussion has been almost insensibly drawn out yet this it is hoped may not be without its uses if the writer has in any degree succeeded in his endeavour to point out the dangerous qualities and unchristian tendencies of a principle of such general predominance throughout the higher classes of society and to suggest to the serious inquirer some practical hints for its regulation and control since the principle too of which we have been treating is one of the most ordinary modifications of pride the discussion may also serve in some degree to supply a manifest deficiency a deficiency to be ascribed to the fear of trespassing too far on the reader's patience in having but slightly touched on the allowed prevalence of that master passion and on the allowed neglect of its opposite humility End of chapter four section three